Verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection from, of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who has subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Well, this is cool stuff. Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for these words from my brother Paul. And Father, as we gather this day, a glorious day that you have given us, your grace and mercy is new with every breath you grace us. And yet, Father, this is a powerful text. Lord, I have absolutely no ability to teach this. So I beg you to teach my brothers and my sisters that we may bow before this with great joy and hope in our hearts and be overwhelmed be just flat out blowed away at what you have done and what the conclusion is to your glory and praise amen <laughs> every time i read this i just look at it and think i could be here for like forever and then I really wouldn't grasp it until we got to glory. <laughs> and you guys all be sitting there going, really? <laughs> Paul is dealing with the resurrection. Okay, that's what chapter 15 is for. He says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I have preached to you, verse 1, which you received, which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if... You hold fast the word which I try to preach unless you believed in vain. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. I already told you guys when I started chapter 15 a few months ago <laughs> that I am here to crush your view of the little chocolate eggs and the little chocolate rabbit and the little coloring of things. Uh, and I'm not saying that it, you can't do that, but that is not Easter. Okay? I would give anything... If 40% of Christianity would understand the resurrection and live in light of that truth, okay? But that's not my call. What we're dealing with here in the plan of the resurrection is that there is a redeemer, there are the redeemed, and then there is the restoration. And we're dealing with the restoration. But the redeemer is the first fruit. Okay, that has taken place. It has already taken place. The first fruit comes out of Levitical teachings, and the Levitical teaching says that you who are God's people present your first fruits to God because of your love and adoration for Him, and He will provide the rest of your harvest. 
Okay, that is what they call taking a step of faith. I in my faith will give you what I have in my hands. I'm going to give it to you because I know you're going to give me more. Jesus Christ, first one out of the grave, is the first fruits of the great harvest. The great harvest is the redemption of men and women. Okay? That's the Redeemer. The redeem you see there, are those in their own order. Okay? First fruits after that. Okay, do you see that? There's a time sequence in it. After that, those who are in Christ at his coming. Okay, but it will be each in their own order. Each in their own order. There is a plan. God has a system and it's working out. First, Christ. Second, the church. Okay, third, those to the tribulation time. Fourth, Old Testament saints. Okay, And I'm not going to go back through all of that because that's been multiple weeks ago. If you want to see how it comes out biblically, then you get online and download it or get your CD or cassette or, I don't know, MP3. I don't don't know how all that works. You know, people say, well, do you listen to these? No, I preached them. (laughs) I don't want to listen to me. I have other things to do. (laughs) Okay. So, but but now we move into the restoration. What is this? Because see, there in the Greek culture at the time of the Corinthian church, you had two lines of thinking that existed in the church. One, that it was just a spiritual thing. Okay? That resurrection means that your soul went back to be with the great soul provider. Okay? I mean, that's basically what they believe. Then some would say, well, well, but Christ is different. That's the Son of God. He has a bodily resurrection, but that really doesn't have any impact on us. Okay? And the Apostle Paul is saying, oh, did I tell you? This is of first importance. Okay? The bodily, literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, Its impact is so massive, there is the literal bodily resurrection of you and me and all who have ever believed. Okay, and that's what he's getting at. And and he is so cool. Okay, now I understand he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I do understand that. But it is just so cool how the Spirit takes this guy and he just absolutely obliterates any argument. He's already said, you know what? If there is no resurrection, Christ didn't rise, and you believe in vain, and the apostles are liars. Because that's what we've all been saying. We bear false witness to God. <laughs> that's a pretty good argument. <laughs> you know, I'm a spokesman for God, but I'm just a liar. <laughs> well, okay, sell that one. All right? But we need to pay attention to this because what I watch and what just breaks my heart today is to watch the church in apathy and and in powerless, holding a form of godliness and denying the power. And all I can think about is he's only raising the dead. That's all. And you're going to add to that what? Listen, I've been around dead people. Sorry. I've been around spiritually dead people and physically dead people. And I've been around physically, spiritually dead people. Okay? But I, my best friend that I've ever had in my life, best man at my wedding, two years ago went to be with my king. 
His wife is an unbeliever. And, and, and his last time of consciousness, I was in the ho- mo- uh, motel room, the uh, hospital room with him. He was getting ready to have this procedure. And they said, if this works, then the key is, will you come back out and will you be able to breathe on your own? And if not, then you're out of here. This man absolutely adored and loved his wife. And he wanted so bad for her to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There, there is no other desire that I've ever seen compelled a man as much as this man was compelled by this. But those of you who remember Ed, he was really in a lot of pain. He was hurting unit. His last few years of life were, were awful. And um, I, it was just me and, and Pam and Ed there. And he said, uh, I need you to pray. I'm getting ready to go have this procedure. And uh, I said, okay. I said, what do you want me to pray? And he looked at me, and he's got his wife's hand in his hand. And he said, first that Pammy comes to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I cannot come back to the body of Christ and serve in the capacity in which I am, the Lord let me go home. Try that one. Try that one. I remember one morning going over to his house. He called me early. It was a Sunday morning. And he called me. And he said he ain't feeling very good. And he said, can you come over to the house? So I bang on the door. He doesn't come out. So I go in. I'm thinking something has happened. And he's in bed and he's in a pain. And I thought, you know, he, he was really faithful at giving to the church. That maybe he just wanted to give to the church. Okay. And uh, he says, can you help me up? And it, you guys remember Ed. He's, he's a pretty good boy. <laughs> you put me and him together, we got 10. <laughs> um, so I help him sit up in bed. And he is in so much pain from his lower extremities that he literally broke out into a sweat hurting. That's how much pain. This guy was on morphine. All right. And he says, if you give me just a minute, I'll slide my pants on. And he says, and I just need you to drive me to church. What? And I helped him get in the, if I'd have known it, I'd have taken the car, but I got that goofy truck. So I'm trying to fire his big old butt up in my truck. And it's kind of, well, just ride in the back. <laughs> It'd be easier on me. Okay. I'm not said this. I've known the guy for a long time. Anyway, I've known him longer than I've known my wife. Um, and that was the spirit that he had. That was what was in his, 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 his passion. Okay, we studied the scriptures together on Thursday nights for years. He'd just come over to the house. He lived over by me. He'd come over to the house and we'd wrestle with weird stuff. Why I share that with you is because in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also took part in the same. And through death that he might render powerless him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and might set free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. I have, it is hard to find a human being who is not fearful of death. Very difficult. But you know what? I found one. 
I found one. He stood face to face with it and said, you know what? I know where I'm going and that's fine. And to watch him commit his wife to whatever the Lord is willing to do and what the Lord will do and say, I'm out of here. If I cannot serve the body of Christ was a man who said, you know what? That victory has already been won in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has gained that victory over death. Okay, that is part of the restoration. I shared this with you last week. Where did it begin? With God. Where does it end? With God. And how is that possible? The resurrection. Literal bodily resurrection. And ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ will destroy death. He will abolish it. It will be done away with it. There will be no more death. You will look at Revelation chapter 21 and it says there is no more crying. There is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. There is no more death. But chapter 21 comes after the millennial kingdom. Okay? That last enemy, that last tyrant, that last slave master, death. You know, I, I remember growing up, uh, two things are guaranteed in life, death and taxes. That's not true. I do know some people who do not pay taxes. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. But you know what? I don't know anybody who gets around death. That last enemy. Christ will rule on an earthly kingdom for a thousand years. A marvelous millennial on earth kingdom. But look how he lays this out. Then comes the end. And he hands over the kingdom of God. Okay? Then comes the end. When? When he has put everything under subjection, under his feet. Then comes the end. People say, well, do you believe in a literal thousand year? Yeah, why? Because it teaches that there's a literal thousand year kingdom. Okay? Then there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. Revelation 5. Who is worthy to take back the earth? The scroll with the seven seals, the title deed to creation. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? The lamb that was slain and a great cry came forth. Worthy is the lamb to take back what belonged to God. See, you've got to understand something. Jesus has taken the assignment to redeem the earth. You got it? And when he is done... When it is all finished, when the end comes, verse 24, and he then will hand it over to God the Father. When all is finished, okay, when he is finished as a baby, when he is finished as a man, when he is finished dying, when he is finished being raised, when he's finished coming back, when he's finished fighting Satan, when he's finished abolishing world enemies, when he's finished crushing all rebellion, when all of that is done. He reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he hands it 
to he who spoke it into existence. When all the redeemed of all of the ages are all gathered and all of the unbelievers are gathered, judged, and gone, when that is all done, he hands it to the Father. When there is no shadow of sin in existence, then he gives it to the Father. Why? He's going to abolish the last enemy. What is the last enemy? Death. The penalty of sin is death. So you know what the implication is? Sin is abolished. When he has completely abolished sin, rebellion, anything, when it's all gone, what does he do? It is now existing only in sinless perfection. He hands it back to the Father. All of creation. He looks at the Father and says, here, I did my task. Creation is redeemed. As you started it in the garden, it is now in absolute perfection. Back to your possession. The eternal state, the new heaven, the new earth, all to God, where it all began. In subjection to him. Look, let's drop down here. Let's quick. This last enemy will be abolished is what? Death. Penalty of sin is death. So implications is sin has been abolished. All right. Verse 24. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. Okay. Now, right there, he's quoting Psalm 8, 6. But look what he says then. But when he says all things are in subjection, Paul's sitting here going, watch this. I got to make sure you understand. It is evident. Okay. He's saying this is clear. You, you got this down, right? It is evident he's accepted to put all things in subjection to him, meaning that everything is in subjection to Christ. It is all under his feet except for one. God the Father. God the Father. God is not subject to Christ. Okay? Alright? But he says there's an evident, it's obvious here, it's expected. You should already understand this. God is not under Christ. God is not subject. Okay? But understand this. All else is subject to God. Okay? Think about it for a second. Matthew 28, 18. You can look these up later. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Okay, what would all authority be? That would be all. (laughs) Okay, John 5. God the Father gave me the right to reign and judge. To reign and judge in all authority. Okay? This ain't a new thought. goes back a few years. The book of praises. That's the book of Psalms. In Psalm uh, chapter 2, verse 6 says, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion on my holy mountain. That would be God has installed his king on his holy mountain. Uh, Psalm 8, we've already read, but I'll read it to you again. 
Um, you make him to rule over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool upon your feet. Okay? The enemy, until the enemy is placed under Christ's feet, then the end will come. You take it back to your text that we're looking at. You see the very implications there in chapter 15, verse 25. He must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. Okay, verse 27. I will put all things in subjections under his feet. And he quotes Psalm 8, 6 again. You got it? All right, so you have this thing. Now, if you, if you, if you think about this, and I'm going to do this really quick. Okay. In the garden, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be quick. In the garden, by Adam's sin, he gave the rights of creation to Satan, to the devil. Okay? And death came forth, just like Christ said it would. At, in the garden, you eat of this fruit, you will die. And let me share with you a little footnote on that. At the time that he ate of the fruit, instantaneously, there was a spiritual death. Okay? Here's why I say that. Why would they think they could hide from God? That is a spiritually dead person who thinks, oh, I can go over here and hide in the bushes and God can't find me. Okay? So, as soon as he ate of the fruit, the spiritual demise happened. Okay? Now, he had some life, but let's be realistic. You and I who deal with lost people, you deal with people who are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. All right? Sins ruled. False religions, antichrist, you name it. And then there came a time 2,000 years ago when God himself became in the form of man. The perfect man to die for the sins of those who would believe. Okay? And to prove that God accepted this sacrifice for the sins of mankind, he raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. Upon raising them from the dead, he says, that is the first fruits. That is the guarantee. Now then, we move, and you move through the age that you and I exist in right now, what I call the church age. It's a time when Jew and Gentile are together. We are being gathered together in a, in a harvest. It will be the bride of Christ. He will remove the bride of Christ in resurrection glory. We will receive resurrected bodies in the clouds. We get caught up in the clouds. Those who have died first, my buddy, he gets his body before me in the twinkling of an eye should it happen this afternoon. In the twinkling of an eye, he's ahead of me. I can handle that. He was always slower than me anyway. Well, he was. <laughs> I'm, I'm not telling a lie. Okay? Even his motorcycle was slower than mine. It's all right. I prayed for him. Okay? But that's where we were. He goes before me. The church goes. And then there's this massive wedding feast of the Lamb. A time of celebration that in my estimation will only last seven years. What a party! And then we come back with him because all hell has broke loose on earth. And in seven years, 
human race decides that they can whip Jesus Christ, and they mass an army in the valley of Megiddo, and they're going to fight Christ. That's when my wife will rejoice because I'll ride with a horseback on her. And she'll ride. And she keeps saying, well, you ride with me a horse. I'm going to. Coming right out of the clouds. I'll be right here with you. Okay? Do you see that? And then he sets up the millennial kingdom. He speaks forth. He obliterates this rebellion. And he sets up his eternal king, or a thousand year kingdom right there in the line of David. And you see the res- begin the resurrection of the Old Testament saints to rule and feast for a thousand years. Satan is put into chains. He is thrown into pit for a time. Then he is released after the thousand year kingdom. He is allowed to tempt one more time because there are survivals that come out of the seven years of tribulation. These are mortals, people. Okay? But the suppression of sin is so massive that it is possible for someone to come out of the tribulation and live a thousand years. Okay? But then you will have children that will be born in the millennial kingdom who have never known nor tasted sin. Satan will be allowed to tempt one more time for a season. And then there will be the separation. Those who came to the thousand-year kingdom will receive a resurrected body unto glory. Those who believe and overcome. Those who do not and deny the Christ will receive a resurrected body to be forever separated from God, His presence, His power, His protection, to be in a place of weeping and gnashing where the worm feasts on the flesh forever. A place of torment. And then is the new heaven and the new earth. Sin, its shadow is completely, absolutely forever removed. It's gone. And Christ has redeemed this massive creation, which God the Father spoke into, into existence, maintains its existence. And he has now eradicated it of all sin and he presents it to God the Father. Okay? He gives it back to the Father. Okay? Now, you got to think about something. The argument that he's, Paul is going against here is Christ raised from the dead. Okay, we'll buy that. But it has no impact on us. And Paul says, then what is he going to give to God the Father? What is a kingdom with no subjects? Do you see his argument? I mean, is this amazing or what? What is this kingdom? What is this thing that is under his subjection that he has removed all sin from? What is it? It's people. It is all of the redeemed people for all time. And if there is no resurrection, then Christ didn't rise. And if Christ didn't rise, can't take back the earth. And he can't, definitely, if he can't take back the earth, he can't give it to the Father. Well, what if he did and we don't? Then what is he giving the Father? He ain't got nothing to give him. I mean, what good is a kingdom with no subjects? I mean, if you really think about it, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were there for what? To fellowship in the cool of the afternoon with God. What is the kingdom? A whole bunch of holy people, righteous people who are there to 
fellowship with God. Completely redeemed. As all died in Adam, physically and spiritually, all rise in Christ, physically and spiritually. If there's no physical life, then there's no kingdom. There's no millennial kingdom. There's no restored earth. You know what that means? That God lost everything in the garden and never got it back. First fruits has ramifications. He reigns until it's all placed under his feet. A glorified humanity given to God the Father in resurrection form. If that doesn't hurt your head, then you're asleep. Okay? Because verse 28 explains it to us. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. So that what? You know, I got a little thing here in my notes that says, wow. (laughs) Maybe the smallest word I ever wrote. Christ in his carnation form in them. Do you think about that for a second? Christ in his incarnation form in them. Listen, I got to take you back to something. I, I want you to think about something here. Chapter 13, verse 5. Chapter 13, verse 5. 1 Corinthians, sorry. Speaking of love. Okay, you can summarize everything, 15 facets of love that are listed out here in this chapter. You can roll it all into one little package, one little bitty deal right there. Verse 5 when it says, does not seek its own. Okay, that's true love. Okay, now what you have in Christ stepping forward saying, I will fulfill the redemption plan is a son's love for his father. Father, my love for you is I will redeem that that Adam sold. That's how great, Father, my love is for you. Go to the letter to the Philippians. He says that he came as a form of the bondservant, seeking not his own, but to do the will of he who sent him. What was the will of he who sent me? Redeem that mess. And he said, all right, I'm on it. He took the form of humanity. Do you understand how humiliating that is for deity? And yet he took the form knowing that his incarnate presence would be transferred to all who would believe through his resurrection. And why do you seek the things of this world? Why do we long for the things of this world? Why do we long to be like this world when he says, oh, by the way, when I am done eradicating sin, you and I, Jesus to us, will be all in all with God, my Father. And the world offers you what? 
But does God have a big screen TV? <laughs> yeah, and he has free cable for life. Jesus acting out the role of humility, submitting himself to the Father, knowing that he does not seek its own. You look at the life of Christ, and I can sum it up with this small phrase, always the servant. And we claim to be followers of who? From the time he's given a body until the time he presents it all back to God, he is a servant fulfilling the task of his master. Then he presents it all back in its holiness, its righteousness, and it's only to the degree that Christ is holy and righteous. And God is all in all. God is all in all. So the question comes up. God is all in all. Christ hands it back. But I thought Christ was going to rule forever. I mean, there is a, several places that it speaks of this. Uh, the one that I was thinking of is uh, Luke 1. Angel speaking to Mary, Luke 1, verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. What does that mean? How does he give it back and to God the Father and keep reigning? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll show it to you in a minute. Hang in there. Revelations. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven, and my God, my new name, he who has ear, let him have it here. Okay, move on over. Chapter 11, verse 15 of Revelations. Seventh <clears throat> angel shouted with a loud voice from heaven, saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Okay. Ultimately, the throne of Christ is God's throne, making him all in all, which is really amazing. Please hold on tight because Christ's throne is our throne. Because then God is all in Oh, got it? One does. <laughs> Hallelujah. The rest of you are going, what? <laughs> it sounds like a Mormon thing. We're all going to be little gods. No, we're all going to be big gods. But God will be 
in all. Got it? All right. Everybody's like, I think Terry's just turned Mormon on me. Okay? As all things came from who? Where do they end up? We will have his life. We will have his reign. We will be one in God. That just ought to cause you to want to just jump up and act charismatic. <laughs> Throw your hands up and dance or something. In the beginning, we came out of God. In the end, we return to God. We reign with Him, and we are in common life. We are absolute one with the Alpha and the Omega. History came from God. History is going back to God. A complete humanity of righteousness. Do you ever think about that? And we will only have the standard of righteousness that is equal to God. And all of that comes out of the guarantee of the great harvest, which was the resurrection of Christ. Do you see how they're all kind of linked together? And we will only have to dwell there forever. God all in all. You'll literally be able to go out and play golf and shoot 818. After you're done worshiping. Listen, this is not some mystical thing. I don't want you to think that this is sort of a who thing. This ain't a mystical thing. You are united with God in a common life of Christ. Okay, you are united with God in a common life of Christ. He is our resurrection. Now then, I'm going to ask you a question. Can you sit on that throne? Have you ever thought about it? That's why writing to Thessalonians, he says, be thankful for everything. <laughs> That's like, yeah, there is an understatement. <laughs> but he also says, you should pray out without ceasing. <laughs> I was like, okay. Now you see why I struggled with this text. How do I explain this? How do I explain this? We will each be individual. We'll each be absolutely pure, absolutely holy, absolutely righteous. Only as righteous as Christ. That's all. Only as holy as Christ. Now then, ask yourself a question. How holy is Christ compared to God? Equal. Therefore, we will be all in all. But we will be absolute individuals. Do you see why he says the things of this world are passing away? Do you see why he says we are pilgrims, we are just passing through? Do you see why we are just ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven? Don't get tangled up with this place. Why? This isn't where your throne's at. This isn't where your throne's at. And that's Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of this thought, this verse 28 is do you understand that that resurrection of the first fruit is the guarantee that there will be a be subjects in the perfect kingdom 
that God had designed in the beginning. And it will be returned and Christ will present this absolutely sin-washed, no evidence of it, creation. Back to God, as soon as that happens, then we become all in all. I pray that this gives you a little bit better idea of his grace. When you sing amazing grace, do you realize what you're singing? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brother again. I thank you for your word. And Father, how you even tell us that your word will only perfect the soul. Father, help us to be brothers and sisters of the book. Help us to look at this and embrace it and be overwhelmed by it. Father, help us to try to get our little pea brains wrapped around it. And yet, Father, let us rejoice in the massiveness of what you're doing, what you've done. And Father... Then comes the end. Let us eagerly await. Let us eagerly long. And Father, let us please help me, help my brothers and my sisters to walk in a manner worthy of this awesome, awesome truth. Let us, who are called by your name, walk in resurrection power. To your glory and praise. Amen.